That's why this lawsuit's so important, to get the information that's not readily available and to start doing something rather than just doing this kumbaya, let's heal uh, and nothing gets done, nothing changes. We think for this type of investigation where we're looking again, not just at, at, at criminal violations, but to answer all the parents' questions as to what went wrong here and what we can do better in the future to make certain that this never happens again in any school in our state. One of the reasons we need everybody to get vaccinated is to reduce the spread because every time, you know, a virus spreads, it has a chance to mutate and change and get a new variant. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Attorney Jeffrey Figer is filing two separate $100 million lawsuits against the the Oxford Community School District on behalf of two survivors of last week's shooting that left four dead and seven injured. The lawsuit alleges the school district ignored warning signs leading up to that shooting. Jeffrey Figer discussed the suit with Kevin Dietz. We don't always find a lot of transparency in the days and weeks after an event like this. It seems like people are kind of covering their butts from time to time. And as I look through the lawsuit that was filed by your firm, it looks like there may be some of that. What have what have you learned in, in the nine days or so since the shooting? Exactly what you said. The, virtually nothing except what's been given to us by the prosecutor's office, who's been much more forthcoming than the uh, uh, Oxford School District that is covering their butt because the dirty little secret here is they're fully insured and uh, they're lawyered up um, and uh, they are represented by insurance company lawyers because uh, they understand that uh, they're not going to jail uh, like the uh, shooter and his parents, but uh, they could be hurt through a civil lawsuit and uh, they protect themselves. That's why this lawsuit's so important, to get the information that's not readily available and to start doing something rather than just doing this kumbaya, let's heal uh, and nothing gets done, nothing changes. You know, Kevin, I don't know if you remember, I handled two of the Columbine victims in 1999. Since then, there's been over 300 school shootings over Almost 300,000 students have been affected adversely. Uh, hundreds of deaths. Um, this country is, 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 is on the wrong track. What country, what civilized country would allow this type of thing to go on year after year and not talk about what we were just talking about or what you were talking about with the congressman just a minute ago, the nine million pound gorilla in the room, which is guns and how a 15-year-old is allowed to carry guns openly and buy ammunition and mow down his classmates. And it's not changed at all. It's amazing how little has changed since Columbine. And the reason for that, by the way, is money. Uh, they have power. The, another dirty little secret here is the, uh, our elected officials go in front of the cameras when these tragedies occur and they cry and they weep and they tell their their hearts and their minds they're all thinking of the victims and then they go into the back rooms with the lobbyists for the gun lobby as the congressman told you and they pass laws protecting guns uh, and the right to sell guns like they're at Kmart uh, I mean just incredibly 
the, the amount of guns in the marketplace today, I mean, versus, say, 20, 30 years ago is just amazing. And where are they? You don't see the gun shops. They're all being sold in this underground market. And they also are making it so that the victims can't bring a justice. They make it impossible for victims to sue. So on the one hand, they're they're telling everybody how sad they are and how much they want to get to the bottom of it. And in reality, they're making it impossible for the victims to find out really what happened or to get justice. They do make it difficult to sue. Uh, they're protected for the most part against, uh, you know, much of what happens. How do you take a case like this and go in and show that there's gross negligence on behalf of the school or school officials? I'm not uh, naive. This isn't an easy road to hoe. I understand, and I didn't take this case for money. But at some point, we've got to stop talking about it. At some point, do something about it. Um, they've made it virtually, like you said, impossible to bring a lawsuit. Um, and people need to know that. People need to know that Michigan, in that sense, is a backwater state. We're the worst in the country. We're the only state in the union. You can't bring a lawsuit against the drug manufacturers. You haven't seen one suit of a tire exploding here in Michigan because the auto companies own the state of Michigan. The Catholic Church inveigled itself into the Court of Appeals and uh, made it so we will not have one uh, priest abuse case uh, ever have a, uh, uh, a money verdict against the archdiocese or the uh, uh, or an individual priest. Some of them have gone to jail, but very few, and there's not been one verdict against them. What happens in Michigan, we have a, an extremely backward, corrupt state, and people don't realize it. People think we're, we're some kind of progressive state here. We're not. We're, 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 we've been backward for a long time, and it hasn't done us any good. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel will proceed with her own investigation into the Oxford High School shooting, despite the school district turning down her initial offer to do so. A meeting between school officials, the shooter, and his parents just hours before the tragic event is calling the school's culpability into question. Attorney General Dana Nessel joined Kevin Dietz. You know, firstly, I thought it was interesting to note that the superintendent of the Oxford Community Schools was already indicating that he was looking for a third-party review of this incident. And while that's important is because, you know, we're, we're not in any way, shape or form questioning the investigation of the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. But what our department can offer is really more wide ranging because it's not just a review of any potential criminal infractions. But in addition to that, our investigation would look as to whether there were individual failings on the part of school actors and whether there were systemic failures related to school policies and procedures. Uh, we have both, you know, not just criminal prosecutors, but we also have civil attorneys that can analyze that. And, you know, special agents that may work in concert with um, other state agencies like the Department of Education, uh, the licensing, you know, LARA, to, to look at if any professional canons of ethics were violated by uh, licensed professionals. And we work with the Michigan State Police as well. So we think for this type of investigation where we're looking, again, not just at, at, at criminal violations, but, you know, to answer all the parents' questions as to what went wrong here and what we can do better in the future to make certain that this never happens again in any school in our state, I think it's imperative that our department get involved. 
Yeah, the, we want this to be a learning experience so that we can learn as much as possible so that we can prevent these things from happening in the future. As you as you look at this, because parents have so many questions, and, and the biggest one is, you know, what happened at that meeting between the parents and the school, and, and why was the student allowed to go back to class instead of go home. What kinds of things can your office look at to get to those answers? Well, again, we want to know what policies were in place to address a situation like that. And if honestly, if there aren't policies in place, perhaps we need to create some. And whether that has to be done um, at the state level by some sort of rule promulgation, uh, by the Department of Education, whether we need legislation. We work with the legislature all the time to make recommendations as to new laws that should be put into place. But we really should find out what happened here, what the failure was, if there was any, and, and how to better address it. And I will say this, obviously, our department is known for very extensive investigations. We handled the Michigan State University, you know, Larry Nasser investigation, the Flint water crisis investigation, clergy abuse uh, investigation, Boy Scouts of America. So we're used to doing these really um, extensive investigations involving a lot of documents and a lot of witnesses. Uh, and so we're prepared to do it. And we think it's incredibly important, again, not just to see what happens here, but we want to make sure that any mistakes that were made will be prevented uh, in, in some other school, in some other district in the state. And I, I really i am concerned, quite honestly, because what we don't want to see happen is something I've seen over and over again, where you'll have some sort of a clear institutional failure, and then a private firm is brought in that is actually hired by that institution. And then the report seemingly is more of an effort to sort of you know, cover up any potential failings by that institution instead of just a, an honest, transparent, published report. Uh, and I'm not accusing the Oxford Community Schools of doing anything inappropriate. I'm just saying that if you want to be certain that this review can be trusted and there's full accountability, I really don't think it should be by anybody that's hired specifically by the school district. We have all the resources available at the Department of Attorney General and, you know, the, the school district this way doesn't have to pay hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for this kind of a review. We already are situated to um, conduct such a review right away. The first cases of Omicron have been detected in Michigan. Initial data on the variant offers some good news and some bad news. The bad news is it shares some characteristics with the common cold, meaning it could be potentially more transmissible, but the symptoms may be milder. WJR and Podsui fix your Dr. Matthew Sims from Beaumont with Guy Gordon. Let me pose a hypothetical to you. I'm a, I'm a Pfizer vaccine recipient. I've had two, not three doses. How much less effective will my vaccine be against Omicron? You know, um, we still don't know for sure, right? It's, just, it's a very preliminary study. I have not gotten to review the data myself yet. I've seen a blurb about it, basically, kind of like you probably have. Um, but what they basically said is that you will get protection as long as you're boosted, but unboosted does not give protection. All right, let me ask you about that term boosted, because when they're saying, well, if you've got only two uh, doses, you probably don't have adequate protection. <clears throat> You need a third. Does that really qualify as a booster? Or are they saying, you know what, 
this was a three-dose regimen to begin with, or does it just say, you know what, you need a new vaccine? Well, I mean, those are the, right, these are potential different ways to approach it. So when you were talking about alpha, you didn't need a three-dose regimen. When you're talking right. about Delta, you didn't initially need a three-dose regimen. If you had two doses, you were protected. But six months later, you no longer were. So you needed a boost, right? Now with Omicron, it looks like that that level, because when the booster actually brings you up over where it would have been before with two, you know, even right after two doses. Um, so it looks like you really do need that boost now. You might say Omicron really requires a three-dose regimen. That's certainly another way to put it. And you might get even better results if you made an Omicron-specific vaccine. But that's okay. still that's still very up in the air. We haven't nobody's done that yet. In terms of you know, there, there are still these skeptics out there, and I don't understand them. But there's still skeptics out there who would look at this and say, "Well, of course, uh, Pfizer is going to say this. They want to sell more shots." Um, is it, it this this was this foreseen is this is this a surprise to those of you that are in the field or was this anticipated no. you know i it's another thing i've been saying for months you've heard me say it before is that one of the reasons we need everybody to get vaccinated is to reduce the spread because every time you know, a virus spreads, it has a chance to mutate and change and get a new variant. And that eventually the only way another variant is going to take over is if it does one of two things. It grows fast. It, you know, in, it infects faster, meaning it's more transmissible, like Delta was, or there's immune evasion, meaning that the people who are already protected are no longer protected, so now it can attack them. So, I, I mean, we've been, I've been saying this for months that this is the eventual thing that's going to happen if we don't get this under mm-hmm. control. And here's Omicron, where there's at least some immune evasion. The Michigan Wolverines are headed to the college football playoffs, beating rival Ohio State in the season finale before handling business against the Iowa Hawkeyes in the Big Ten Championship game. National Head Coach of the Year Jim Harbaugh reflects on the season and looks ahead at what's next with Paul W. Smith and Sean Belegian. Yes, how about that? So Aiden Hutchinson's been invited to New York as a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, uh, and and that's uh, great to see a Michigan. How about a Michigan kid, son of yeah. a son of a former great player, uh, be up for the Heisman Trophy? It's uh, it's super exciting. It is ex- extremely exciting, and uh, we're anxious about that, as we're anxious uh, for the uh, Orange Bowl. And before we get to that, and Sean Belegian's going to join us on that, he's got some thoughts and some questions. I just want to uh-huh. say, I've never seen anything like this, Coach. You, you've gone through a very rough time coming back home. You know that I've been by your side, and many of us have been by your side through all of this. It's been tough, uh, but it's been a fabulous magical year you took a major pay cut and on top of that you and your wife sarah had a conversation where you said look things are going well we're on a roll we've got some great games ahead of us i've got some great Uh bonuses coming my way if we win i think we give the money to workers who have been hurt in the athletic program people who had to take pay cuts and and didn't make the money they thought they were going to make, and that's what you and Sarah are doing. Yeah, so we we we, uh, we sure feel like we've drawn the long straw, Paul, uh, and it really starts with the 
the players we coach and and then families were around uh they're just they're the, they're the best they uh they're so good on the field and off the field uh you know no grief they don't give me any grief um so it's just a it's a it's a great thing and it's uh it's been a been a lot of fun the um you know, not only this year, but you know, the, the whole time I've been here. I mean, uh, players uh, and coaches. It's a it's a great team effort. Um, I'm super excited to be uh, be uh, the head coach. I mean, uh, all that money you're talking about that I'm giving away. I mean, do we do we do we really deserve any of it anyway? Uh, you just try to try to live up to it and try to earn it, but uh, you sure don't deserve it. You know, one of the things that jump out to me, Coach, and, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I, I want to repeat it here. I'm old enough to remember your illustrious playing career. You beat Ohio State a couple times, Big Ten champions in 1986. How does it compare being the coach of this team as opposed to your playing time under Bo? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it's it's uh, and I felt better being the coach. There, there you go. Uh, you know, because there's so many, so many. I think when you're a player, it's kind of at least it was for me. I mean, okay, it's great. I got my teammates, and I'm happy for myself. Uh, you know, the coach. Uh, well, you're just happy for everybody. All, all the coaches, all the players, all the the staff, everybody that uh, that uh, works so hard. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it sat a very, very, very fulfilling win. Uh, you wake up every day, and it doesn't go away. Hey, woke up this morning and realized we're the Big Ten champs. That's uh, that's awesome. But but why stop now? Let's keep going. Why not us? Let's uh, let's get ready for. Uh, it doesn't have to end, you know. So right. uh, let's keep let's let's get prepared for Georgia and the eleven to one Wolverines will face Georgia in the Orange Bowl on New Year's Eve. That one loss was to the Michigan State Spartans, who blew past all expectations, finishing the season. 10 and 2, ranked number 11. They'll face ACC champs Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl on December 30th. Big Ten Coach of the Year Mel Tucker, once again with Paul W. Smith and Steve Courtney. Coach, you and your staff orchestrate, and it was uh, really amazing to watch as this 2021 Spartan season unfolded. A school record uh, eight win turnaround. Uh, when you have a chance to reflect, and I know you're still pretty darn busy, was there anything that surprised you about this Spartan team? Uh, you know, and I haven't had a whole lot of time to reflect. Like you said, we're on the recruiting trail and, and then also preparing uh, for, for, for the bowl game. But um, it, it, the team is, they really haven't surprised us. You know, we see these guys, you know, every day, you know, in the out of season, we see the development, you know, we see how they, they come together. They see, how they, we see how they train and how they work and how they, how they, you know, how they take care of their nutrition and how they grow. And so as we went through spring ball and as we went through the summer program, as we went through fall camp, we knew coming out of our second, out of our second scrimmage in fall camp that we had a good football team. We just lacked the, the depth um, that we may have needed. And so, um, but there, there was really no surprises on, on our end. Uh, we knew we had a, we had a good squad. It's kind of a mystery to me. Obviously, Kenneth Walker, AKA K9, uh, part of the Heisman conversation throughout what was an amazing season for him uh, leading the Big Ten and rushing I believe uh, right now second in the FBS Uh, he also leads the FBS in rushing yards after contact coach I could go on and on and on all of a sudden uh, when the Heisman finalists are announced his name is not on it I I've never seen anything like it have you 
No, no, I haven't. But, uh, you know, all those things that you mentioned about Ken are all true. Those are all things that he did on the field. Um, it was from the, the first play of the season all the way uh, through the game at, at Penn State. Um, he was a dom- dominant player. He's a difference maker. I'm not sure if there's a player in the country who's made a bigger difference in a program than Ken Walker. So certainly uh, everyone here in East Lansing, all the sports across the country and across the world, I recognize that he's a great player, and uh, we really appreciate him. They'll do it for Pod Sui this week. For full interviews and anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.